Now, any week that you're trying to work out what the fuck is going on, you need the most expert of advice. And if if you were this week trying to find the expert, the subjects on which they would need to be experts on would be football, Iran. Unfortunately, we couldn't find anyone who knew anything much about those subjects. So instead, we've got Ahmed Jalili. Oh, how are you? I'm very well, Mark. It's lovely, lovely to see you. And uh, now, we're very honoured to have you today as well, because you're about to, uh, to to perform royal duties, no less. For my sins, yes. I, uh, you know, I was asked to do this by ITV, who said, "Look, it's it's come from the palace. They want you to do it." Because I I hosted a, an event for the Queen uh, at the Platinum Jubilee. And um, it was a horse show. And there was a, a joke I did, which honestly, Mark, you'll know as a comic, sometimes things, you, you work for a week on something that something pops into your head. I think, yeah. shall I? Shall I? Shouldn't I? The context was that she had missed the state over, the Queen had missed the oh, state yes, over yeah. the Parliament. But she came to this ridiculous, well, this horse show, which we kind of made it, it was called a gallop through uh, the, 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 the monarchy, which is from Queen Elizabeth I, played by Helen Mirren. Uh, all the way up to the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. And people, there were people like, you know, Damien Lewis, t- t- Tom Cruise. It was a star-studded night. And I played the Herald, which was, uh, the Herald is traditionally the person who is closest to the monarch who connects her with the people. So I was doing jokes about, oh, Guy Fawkes night, which was still our greatest failure. For right, most countries, right. failure is a disgrace. But for us, it's a cause for a party. And she was laughing. And, and at the very end, I don't know why, you, you know what it's like, something pops into your head and think, shall I? I, sh- I shouldn't. Do you know? And I thought, no, do it, do it. Because I had, I had the final words. And I said, and thank you. Uh, thank you for coming, for choosing us over the state opening of parliament. And it got such a massive, because ro- it was like the elephant in the room. And she, uh, she did that. She put her hand up like that. What do you think that's a royal? Do you think that's a royal like, yeah, that broad? That's yeah, this man's. <laughs> that's the royal way of going. This broad, this bro, this man's funny. You get me? Well, that's what I, that's what I thought. That was my interpretation. <laughs> uh, but the, but the the, the right wing papers uh, were very not very. Uh, they were saying what, what how awkward. I think that they, they they thought that meant off with his head. And but, but I was told by I was told by Princess Anne that that is. Um, is from the sun, which means look at the tits on him. And she went, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going with that. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's hope. Uh, uh, well, if I go like that at any point during this, then uh, that'll mean look at the, look at the tits, tits on, on him. Yeah. Tits on him <laughs> rather than off, off with his head, because I'm not sure I quite, I'm not sure it's quite within my gift no. to, uh, <laughs> to, to order <laughs> such a punishment. Now, we'll start, we'll start with the important bit of all this. Right. This is complicated, as I know, um, with my life being the way it is, that uh, Iran in the football is complicated. It might not be the most important part of it all, but I know that um, uh, I've watched two of the matches with Shappy, and she's gone through about five different stages of turmoil with each one <laughs> do i watch it if i watch it who do i support do i go and sit in the kitchen and ignore it uh, and and so on so have you been the, the same what do you given that um given all that's happening in iran in iran at the moment it's, it, you know with football look you have to say that everything in our world you know including football is kind of interwoven with politics and at the end of the day you either stand with the voice of the unheard or 
you continue to feed a system that that cut their voice because as you know in Iran they've uh, they've cut the internet. And it's really interesting that they've cut the internet, but the supreme leader Ayatollah Khomeini he still he still does Twitter. So people are angry about it, and they gather outside his house protesting. And they always ask the security forces, what's this all about? What's the protest about? Because it's not the protest. They're just trying to, trying to get the Wi-Fi hotspot. Everyone's just trying to get people say, Fazla, do you have two bars? I've got two bars. Have you got two bars? No, I've got one bar. I've lost the signal. You know what? This reminds me when I was in Wigan. You know, this good Wi-Fi bullshit. That is brilliant. That is a brilliant idea. That's why they have to move, they have to move his royal palace. The signal here is shit that I have to go on the roof. To, <laughs> exactly. to go to fucking Facebook. <laughs> is, exactly. I cannot connect. I have a friend. I cannot see picture of of funny dinner he have. I am I at all? And I cannot get fucking signal. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, it's not, that's what it is. Do you know what? I don't know if you watched last night. It was the Poland-Argentina game. And BBC did this. Um, oh, very yes, interesting thing. Yeah, they, they did this yeah. little... Look back at the Poland-Russia game, the 82 World Cup. Yes, was, it was brilliant. Solidarność. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant. Poland had a brilliant team. They had uh, Zbigniew Boniek, and it was uh, it was a they were a brilliant team. And then they'd had um, yeah, as you said, solidarity. Lech Walesa. And it was always in the news. I remember being 15, and even I was aware something was going on. And I, when I think this is what's going on with the the generality of the public, they see Iran v USA. And they think, oh, hang on, there's something tasty going on here. So I remember watching USSR versus Poland and thinking, oh, this, this gets a bit political, isn't it? Uh, uh, are they going to be happy playing them? And I think the game finished. I think Poland needed a draw and they got through to the semi-final. Yes, and, yes. But I remember, it was, it was, I remember Barry Davis saying one of the most politically charged football matches in the history of the World Cup. Well, yes, I could so, so, so that, just say, just for people yeah. that, that may not know, so the uh, Soviet Union, uh, which was very, uh, Poland was very much part of the sort of satellite of uh, satellite and country. Good, I, I think it's an explanation now, because even at 15 and even now, I'm not 100% sure what was going on. So it's good well, to I, explain. I remember because I was very, very excited by it because I was a little bit older than you. And I was, so I was about 19 when uh, Solidarność happened. So, Solid, so independent trade unions were banned in Poland and indeed all of the Eastern European countries and the Soviet Union. And this independent trade union uh, erupted, led by Lech Valencia, who was an electrician in Gdansk, in the, the, the north of the country, and by a woman called Anna Valentinovich, I believe, who was a crane driver. One of the reasons why the crane drive crane drivers were the sort of centre of the of the beginning of the revol- of this sort of movement was because literally, right, the crane drivers they could sit up the top of their crane and they could read stuff and nobody's no no, no officials or anyone is could see what they were doing because they were at the top of a bloody crane so Anna Valentina, a woman who was um uh, in oh that was I think she was in Quebec anyway um can't remember the name of it, the town but that but the, this movement erupted an independent trade union movement Solidarność that I think 11 million people joined in yeah it was huge in a month or something yeah so uh, amazing and threatened the the Soviet Union and the world and then Poland played the USSR right at that moment and then uh, eventually of course the Russian tanks went in and, and if did people what they are following this and remember the game we just remember there was a lot of people uh, shouting solidarity there was a bit bloke with a big Polish moustache who then later won called Lech Walesa, who went on to become the president or something he, he, yeah, 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 no, that's yeah. all I remember and but I think it's perfect you, you've, you've explained it really really well so look so, that, so that's the context of Iran versus USA. 
um, which and actually Iran at the World Cup anyway was going to be huge because um, there was it, the big question was is this a team that plays under the name Islamic Republic of Iran and as I'm sure Shappi's explained right now with all the revolution going on which is the most wonderful you know it's the first girls revolution in the history of mankind and I always say that we, we have the suffragettes who were just trying to get equal parity with men but these women they want to bring down the government and they want to smash it to pieces because they know they'll they'll never be they're not just demanding their equal rights, they're taking them because they know we can't live in a world with reforms. No, this lot have got to go. 43 years of, an, of, of a brutal Islamic regime, which now we're calling them a terrorist state. And, and you know, they call themselves a terrorist state. They've had so many uh, court cases where states have been trying to take them, they're trying to sue them for blowing up army barracks and things. And their defense is, no, you, we don't recognize you because we are a terrorist state and they prove it and they win. So this is a terrorist state, all right? So for the people of Iran, what, what messages are the players going to give to show that they are with us? And that was a big thing. And before, the, before you know, we, they got to the World Cup, they did do certain things. There was a, their striker, Sadar Azmoun, who plays for Bayer Leverkusen. He wrote um, an Instagram post that says that he denounced the government, so this is terrible, we should stop it. And then he was made to apologize. He took the post down. Then the players together before a warm-up game against Senegal they all wore tracksuit tops during the national anthem. You, you're supposed to take off uh, your tracksuit tops, then sing the national anthem. And they didn't take off their tracksuit tops because they didn't want the Islamic flag being shown. So we got the messages that they are with the people. And then the way the regime spun it, they called them in to meet Raisi. And the, the, he's the president. He's the president, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's the butcher of Iran. He's someone in 1988 massacred 5,000 people. He's now the, he's the bloody president of Iran. Um, so the players had to go there before like a send-off. And they did this doctored, or, or, or the, 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 the images went out that they were bowing to them. But that's also like when you get up, when they, they were saying the names of the players, they would get up and say, like, like Ruzbe Cheshmi. And it was him basically got up and he does that, which is also an Iranian way of like, thank you. But they were like saying they're bowing. They're bowing to their yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, superiors. So, so that's when they lost it. And there's a great picture I put in one of my videos that the goalkeeper bows and the, and the defender looking up at him going, oh, Jesus Christ, that's, it's over. It's over. We, we've lost the people now. So even I, even I thought they don't represent the team. But then they surprised us against England and didn't sing a word. I, I mean, I that was a very they're... powerful moment, wasn't it? I mean, for people who, who, who don't know, uh, that was, um, uh, you know, because you know this is not, this is some jeopardy. This isn't like some futile gesture. And I'm quite quite a fan of a futile gesture. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we've all done plenty of them, haven't we? Yes. Oh, do you know what? I kept my fingers crossed when I, or, or whatever, you know. But uh, but this was a futile gesture that's extre extremely uh Courageous and um, it was, yeah, and the, uh, yeah, it was, and, and they, they, and they just refused to sing the national. And then they were, they were rebuked. Um, and actually, we're talking about futile gestures. When when the England players took the knee so quickly, I mean, they were embarrassed. They went down, and I mean, Harry Kane was down and up in two seconds. Uh, Harry Maguire didn't even bother um, because it was a futile. You're playing against the Islamic Republic of Iran, a brutal with with a, with a girls' revolution, and you decide to take the knee for anti-racism. And inclusivity. It was like it was. There was something Although that disappointed I wouldn't blame us. the players there. I mean, I'd blame the FA for that because you can't. No, I'm not, I'm not can't blaming expect. them at all. I don't blame the players in any of this. It's 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 basically when we say everything's political, 
Yeah, but you, you've got to make the right gestures. So, and actually, Gareth Southgate in his it's the FA it's the FA line because they've been told not the same thing. When Gareth Southgate was asked in the press conference, they said, you know, Iranian activists are begging you for some kind of gesture. Will you do a gesture in support of Iran? He goes, I'm not aware of what's going on in Iran right now. And we all just went, oh, come on. He goes, it's not up to me to say something. He goes, it's up, you're the one politicizing the team. And if the Iranian team asks us to do a gesture, they're never going to ask you. They'll all get put into prison. We will listen to them. But so far, they haven't said anything. Yeah, no shit. So we've got, we've got 87 million people screaming at Gareth Southgate. So, so that was a futile gesture, but fine. But the fact they didn't, uh, the Iranian players didn't, that was, that was powerful enough for me to realise that this, is, this team is with the, with the regime. And during the game, they're all being heckled by fans have gone there from Iran to shout out, be Sharaf, be Sharaf. Yeah, yeah, be Sharaf, yeah. Be Sharaf means dishonourable. So this, when they look, this is a team that's 20th in the world. They've ranked 20th. They should have done better against England. But their spirits were broken and they, they lost 6-2. And, and I think we saw the real uh, Iran against Wales. So what's happened is it's a very moving moment uh, when Iran lost to USA, which is the, such a huge game. It's a huge, it was a first, and I was talking about this because it, it was so political. It's not just historically the hostilities between the two countries um, for, for years, because we blame, it, not we, I'm not talking about we, the, the, the Iranian people um, blame America for a coup that happened in 1953 where they had a nationalist uh, president called Mossadegh and he he got he got rid of all the oil companies who came in because they there were people were plundering the oil Britain and America were plundering the oil of of Iran and they said ah, we'll, we'll give you a cut and they never got a penny so Mossadegh who was this nationalist president came in I mean ask Shappy about all this that, that he he personally he he alone got them he threw out the Brits and Americans who then retaliated a couple of years later for sixty thousand dollars orchestrated a coup and they got control back and they went back in again so. So Iranian. So that's still very much remembered the Mossadegh incident, because this is sort of the, the the absolute fag end of the British Empire when there were still people running the running the British state who just couldn't quite accept that. Um, we, we just run everything. Suez obviously was only three years later, but we run everything. This chap can't go around bloody nationalising oil all over the place when it's ours. And um, yeah, yeah, within the next few years, that's come. Well, Winston Churchill would say, they, "No, these people are savages. They're savages. Yeah. And we're there to we're there to." Uh, to civilize them and and plunder their lands. So 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 historically, there's the Iran v USA as it was in 1998. It, you know that's what they call Iran. They call America the the Great Satan. Anyway, but this game was huge because and this is this is where it's interesting. I'm talking as a football fan. I know that if Iran get through to the last 16, the whole globe, the whole globe, who like me, age 15, watching Poland versus USSR, kind of kind of know what's going on, but don't really know. Then, when they're in the last 16, every country in the world shines a light on. So, we've got Iran versus Senegal. Let's have a look at Iran. Well, who are the people? What's the food like? What's the culture? Oh, dear. This seems to be a massive revolution and thousands of people are dying. Who knew? So, that, that's a massive light. So, I knew that the regime, and that's why the regime knew there'd be a massive spotlight on them. So, what they're doing all in the in the few days leading up, they're bringing in the Islamic Republican Guard Corps, we got the IRGC, to put the pressure on the players not to do any symbols or gestures, and they've broken their spirits to make them lose, basically. And I saw that team were a bit disjointed; that they weren't. It, it, USA were there for the taking, but they didn't do anything. So 
there's a beautiful moment at the end of the game where Ramin Rezaian, who's uh, Iran's right back, is with the uh, the Trent Alexander-Arnold lookalike, Robinson. They're hugging yeah. at the end. And, and, and yeah, they yeah, hugged yeah. for a very long time because the USA players came out and said, look, we live in, we were raised in different places, but I see these players as my brothers and we love them and we understand what they're going through. And it's just like a 25-second hug. It was very, very moving. Because a lot of the players are black, aren't they, the American players? And the... Yeah, they're black. And, and, and all the journal, Iranian journalists asking them about Black Lives Matter, how, how can you play... How can you play for a country where they stick a knee on the neck of a black man? I mean, I don't know if you saw that. It was just oh, ridiculous. the guy who gave a fantastic articulate answer. He was about 21, the mm. American captain. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Adams. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Adams, because he said he ran rather than Iran, didn't he? And uh, you know, so they said, well, why are you, why are you mispronouncing that? Yeah. And he said, and then he, brilliant. It couldn't have been. If a playwright had written it, it couldn't have been better. Because he, 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 he said... Uh, he, he went through uh, how we are trying to make progress. We were trying to confront the people who uh, who killed George Floyd and make progress and so on. That's what we are trying to do uh, by educating ourselves and educating others, just as you have educated me as to the mispronunciation of your country. <laughs> Fantastic. It well, was brilliant. Wonderful. It was yeah. brilliant. And I think the American team, even before when they were advertising the game, um, they removed the uh, the uh, Arabic sign, which was in the middle of the Iranian flag, which says Allah in Arabic, and that's that. The, the Iranian people saying that is not our flag, because they're saying we, we, we you know, we, we had Islam forced upon us, and this is this is the symbol of the is Islamic Republic of Iran, and the USA team put the flag up without the symbol at the beginning, at the, at the middle of it, and the Iranian Federation went nuts. So we said we want we want USA banned. Because they're disrespecting our flag, so there was all that going on. So, so what's happened now is um, there is a postscript to all of this, which I think is very, very, very significant. Was the Iranian people went out on the streets immediately? By the way, it's midnight in Iran, so so they were partying till five in the morning because the, the great Satan beat the Islamic Republic of Iran, and then they were celebrating and they were all excited. Um, and then somebody got shot. There was one person, a 27-year-old bloke, who was honking his horn in celebration. One of the security guards just came and shot him and killed him out outright. And it was very shocking that they would kill anyone celebrating, but they thought it was disrespectful. So they shot this bloke. And then the very next day, um, Saeed Ezzatolahi, who very nearly scored against Wales, puts out a post uh, showing that the, this guy who was killed was actually one of his best friends who played in a football team with him when he was like 11. And he puts a photograph of the two of them together and saying, t t today my heart burns, you know, that, you, that he, was a he was a friend of mine. So even, and, that, and God knows what will happen to him for, putting, for even mentioning that, because this has now sent a wave of like, oh, but the one bloke who was killed in the celebrations is best friends with our central midfielder? Are you... He'd be like he'd be like our Brian Robson, or he'd be like our, yeah. You know, he was he was a very good. He's a really good um, central midfielder, and uh, that is what everyone's dealing with today, actually, because they can't believe this has happened. Well, this, this leads me to my next question. I'll oh, just one quick question, just on that thing, because I had this question sort of about Bisharaf. It's and it's brilliant. One of the wonderful things about language, isn't it? There's no exact translation for anything so I was having this conversation this was a moment one of the moments when Chappie had gone oh I don't know what I think and gone out the room and I was talking and her mum was uh there who's adorable and uh 
I said, what is Bisharath? Yeah. And she sort of thought about it and she said, it means bad morals. Right. And I thought, well, that's something really beautiful about that. What a chant. I mean, I'm used to sort of sat at Sellers Park with people shouting, you're shit and you know you are, at the Wolves fans. But <laughs> bad morals. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bad morals. Be shut up. It's like the worst thing you can say to someone. You, you are be shut up. I mean, there was a guy giving a, uh, a, he gave a video. He's saying, I'm a military person. I'm 60. I fought in the Iran-Iraq war. And they are now using artillery, which I used. These, he showed these machine guns that I used to shoot down planes. He goes, these people, these people are using this artillery that I used to shoot down planes. You're, you're aiming it at unarmed civilians, your own wow. countrymen. He goes, you are. He went, it's so be shut up. Right, XXL. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's, uh, it's a big thing in our culture. Yeah. So the question here, uh, what I uh, ask, I mean, is this, and this is one of the uh, one of a couple of questions that I find it very hard to get a sort of to get my head around at the moment. I mean, I suppose we should just. I mean, there might be people who don't know the 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 spark of this and the spark of a, of an uprising is never is is. Just the spark. I don't want to demean it, but the spark of it was a, a woman, Masha Amini, was murdered by the uh, magnificently named Morality Police because her hijab didn't cover her hair properly. Yeah, properly. That yeah. was the. She that was going the spark for like a driver awareness course. That's yes. what that's what they were trying to take her, like a, a hair on the veil awareness course. So uh, yeah, so the claim was that Masha Amini died of a heart failure by the most extraordinarily awful coincidence. I mean, at the exact time that they were beating her to death and she died of a heart failure. So, of course, you could claim that for anything. They could say, all the people we've shot, they didn't die because we shot them. They just all had a heart failure at the moment we shot them. Terrible luck keeps keeps happening. It just the horrible, horrible, horrible uh, um, um, state of affairs. So, yeah, clearly it's about much more than the, the hijab. Not that these aren't you know, extraordinarily important uh, 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 dynamics, but it's about much more than that. But now, this regime cl clearly, it's it to this regime, it matters enormously. This it's not just something that they can just fritter away that they can let go. It seems to me because these sorts of rules about hijabs, the Islamic law, and so on. It's how it defines itself. It, how it it sort of we are a nation separate from the West and so on, and therefore it matters absolutely fundamentally to us that we maintain these medieval laws. They would also have no qualms at all about being utterly merciless. They would do what the Chinese did in Tiananmen Square and not think twice about it, but they haven't done. And it seems to me, I don't know if I'm being over-optimistic here, but it seems to me that the reason they haven't done is because they fear that the army would split. They fear possibly even that the police would split. They fear that, I know that there have been oil workers that have gone on strike, we believe. Yeah, oil workers, uh, and, oil workers, they're all on strike right now, yeah. So that's a dangerous time for a regime. And it can't, it, because it's happening in every town, they can't do what ruling powers often do and bring in regiments from elsewhere and so on. It's not simple to do because... There doesn't seem to be any area of the country where where the demonstrations aren't popular, and so it it's a very very dangerous, fragile time for these for these bastards, isn't it? Yes, we hope so. So so I, I didn't. Go, 
did you have a are you saying they 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 haven't brought in the army i didn't quite get the question i think that they have i think that they have brought in the army but they they don't they don't order an absolute massacre uh you know on the lines of what the what the chinese government did that's what i was thinking at first i thought is this going to go the way of Tiananmen Square, where the protests grow and grow, and then the army brings in a, uh, and then the army just massacres people? That's what I, I yeah, yeah. feared. I, now that I, hasn't happened. It's not to say no. it's not they haven't been brutal and foul, but they haven't been able to to destroy the uprising. No, completely. No, and I think that's it's very interesting that we heard um, a government, someone close to the government, was commentating. Uh, that before you get to the mass murder, I mean, they're already killing lots of people, but before you do the Tiananmen Square, 4,000 people in a day massacre, um, they have said that child killing, killing children, is a legitimate a military tactic to break the spirit of people. So you, you kill a few children, and then people say, do you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go. And they've done that. They've targeted children. They've targeted, um, from the very beginning, young TikTokers, young girls who have been, there was a girl called Serena Esmailizada who was quite open and 16, but saying things like, why is there freedom in the West? We see on TikTok, but there's no freedoms here. And they just weren't, they weren't really having it, basically. They're, yeah, they're yeah. the children of my generation. My generation, we saw this and we just thought we better shut up and say nothing. And that's, that's the best way to go. But these children, these younger people have, have risen up so they've been killing these people some of them is age seven and ten there's a guy called kian pifalak was shot um and he wasn't even protesting but they're, they're very happy to shoot people and to take away the bodies as well so the families don't have to have they're just denied a burial right so so that's where we're at right now they're still killing people hoping that it will quell, but unfortunately for the regime, every one, every child they kill, more people. There, there were, there's videos I'm seeing of, of children on their way to school chanting. There's classrooms chanting. Um, it's kind of amazing what's going on, and we're at that standpoint where, as I saw with one video, where that you're just going to have to kill everyone. I saw one guy that was protesting, and then he comes up to security forces. He goes, "Listen, you're just going to have to kill me." So they shoot over his head. He's, no, no, not over my. You got to kill me. You got to shoot me. And they go, pum, pum. They pump him with four bullets and he drops dead. And the person taking the video goes, oh my God, they've just killed him. And even that won't stop them because you've got women coming forward, go, going on their knees, their hands up, because shoot us. That's what you have. To, you're going to have to shoot all of us. So that's where we're at. We're, we're in, in, in the history of humanity, I don't think we've seen that as clearly in modern times where the yeah. movement are now saying, we are peaceful. And if you want to kill us, you're just going to have to kill us all. That's what they're saying. It's incredible. Yes, God. I mean, I don't want to be trite about it. It just reminds me there's the moment in the Godfather film, isn't there, where Al Pacino realises that the Cuban regime's about to... It's actually a very serious, brilliantly portrayed sort of moment before the revolution in Cuba. And he Godfather sees a, two, yeah. the Godfather 2, where one of the, the peasants is willing to, to die. And Al Pacino realises, like, these people are... Now, I don't think it's always the case that when someone's willing to to die, that that definitely means that the regime's about to collapse. But I think here, after ten weeks of these uh, of this uprising, I think we can call it 
call it that, uh, possibly even a revolution, then I think it's clear that there is it's it's not possible for the regime, even using all its brutality, to put this down. And people must have more than courage. They've obviously got an infinite amount of courage, but they they've got more than that. They've got hope because they must be seeing that the support is happening in enough places that uh, that this can go through to overthrowing this this regime now. The stakes are too high now. This isn't just about a change in the law. They're not going to be bought off by getting a few extra school dinners or something, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give you 3% deferred over over two years, right? And we will uh, we will review again NHS spending. They're not going to be that's not going to be the end of this particular situation. It's going to be either there is brutality against the, the uprising or this government's going to fall, I would say. Do you know what? And that's exactly, they're, they're sending those messages very subtly. Like when um, Iran beat Wales, um, people were, some people were celebrating and they put on the, on the front pages of the state newspapers, women without their veils celebrating. And they go, oh, Iran beat Wales. And they put these images. And this disgusted everyone because this whole revolution is because a girl didn't show her hair. And you're now putting on the front page girls without their hijab. It's okay. It's okay to use it for propaganda purposes, but you'll kill us if you don't wear a hijab. So so what's happening now, and Mark, you've said it really, really well, because this is where we're at and what are they going to do? And I think that the first thing is to win the hearts and minds of the people doing the killing. Now, a lot of these people are mercenaries and Hezbollah who were brought in from Lebanon who were not Iranians because they're happy to kill non-Iranians. They don't mind that because people say, who is actually doing this? Iranians would never do this to, to each other. But it's to win the hearts and minds of the people doing the killing. And we saw on a television program, which is filmed out of London, Manator TV, which I'm sure you, you, you are aware, they're very anti-regime um, news channel. And... Uh, Somebody, one of these security forces had rung up and said, look, we're in a state here because we're with the people. Most of us are with the people because a lot of us don't give a shit and they're just getting paid and they don't care. But a lot of us who are Iranians, we are with the people. And they said, well, what are you doing then? Because you're going in and you're all beating people up. And he goes, we have to because they'll kill us. Our families are being threatened. He goes, yeah, but what was all that about when you there's a video where they go in on with t- 10 people going beat him up they run over him with a motorcycle because we've all got body cams and they can see what we're doing so unconfirmed report he was saying one of us was hiding his body cam so they shot him in the head in front of all of us to make an example so we have to do this and they were saying he goes well, we can't trust that we'd all stop we would have to all stop doing it and and i think I think this is when you win the hearts and minds, it's a very simple tactic, which is where the, the Iranian diaspora outside of Iran can help because we're posting every day. I'm doing five or six, seven tweets a day, posting on Instagram, and it's like a massive wave of it. So these things, even though they haven't got internet, the messages do get through. So the idea is that outside of the country, embassies are shut, diplomats are expelled, and all the assets are frozen of that regime outside the country. People in the country go on strike, and then millions of people take to the streets because you haven't got bullets for two, three million people. You haven't got enough bullets to kill 
so they would have to put the the guns down and i think that's what it is it's it's a it's a it's a on many fronts we're trying to get awareness up so people so embassies are shut and the other way we're trying to get the, the, the battle for hearts and minds inside the country so that's that's basically where we're at right now all right. Well, that's that's a bit of to this. I suppose a very big question. You know, the what what can we do here? But it's a slight. It, I don't mean it's to be a sort of negative question, but I found it quite difficult. Um, I think it's got. Put it this way. I think if this had happened fifteen years ago, I think that there would be various institutions, sort of in liberal society uh, in Britain and on the left, if we can use that word, uh, who would have called for something there would have been a rally there would have been big meetings and so on we'd have had someone come over from you know someone who was an eyewitness of some of the terrible things and so on and there'd be a thousand people there and from that there would be some sort of movement would have been created and i think it's been there hasn't been that and i'm slightly surprised at the not being that i wonder whether that's partly because there are sections of the left that see the Iranian government as being in some way a little bit of a, uh, a opposition to Western imperialism, yes. so that they their so that their support for the revolution is is muted. Uh, and then I also think that I wonder whether part of the problem is that the the opposition, the Iranian opposition itself, is divided. There are part there are people who support uh, a return to the monarchy. There are the Mahajadeen, who I know came down to one of the protests, and and you know I don't know that's not I don't know we're about selling tickets, Omid. I don't know whether it helps to publicise a cause when the fucking Mahajadeen turn up. <laughs> so, I mean, I t- I did get them to do the publicity on one of my tours. It was a disaster. The Golbenkian Theatre at Canterbury, hardly anybody come to that one. <laughs> Can I just tell you very quickly, Sasha Baron Cohen, before yeah. he did Borat, he used to do this act called the Mujahideen Touring Theatre Company. <laughs> and he'd, do it, he'd go on with his Arab clothes and shout kind of communist, uh, Islamic communist rhetoric in a, in a heavy accent with one bloke at the but no one laughing and me going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> And then I'd say to him, that was brilliant. He goes, he goes no, I mean, and he's quite posh. He goes, no, it's not working. People are not going to do clearly a disconnect with the crowd. And I, 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 they don't get it. And um, he goes, I said, do you know what? I think, I think but the essence of the characters there, there's, there's, you've got to do some tweak. There's some tweak. He goes, yeah, I, it needs tweaking, definitely. <laughs> and then, it's a year later, I saw him on telly with Ali G, and then a couple of years later, we saw Borat, but that, that was the character. So, but yeah, so, so I think, well, yeah, so done as a character, but whether it's actually helping to publish, I don't think that's the main problem, but I think there are a number of reasons why uh, in Britain, we've not, and I think the sympathies there, the supports there. I think as soon as you mentioned, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, very aware that um, Shappy's been amazing in publicising, uh, in publicising. You know, she's done loads of brilliant, brilliant things, and always, uh, uh, always creating a really uh, loads and loads of people who sort of uh, respond to that. But there's, it's not been organised. There's not been. For example, I know that in Germany, Berlin, there was a hundred thousand people 100, on a march. Berlin, yeah, huge. Now, why, great. why can we why can we not do that here? That's my 
That's my question. That's a very good question. That there's a, First of all, you know, while all this was kicking off and we were talking about it, we had Liz Truss was, you know, she was uh, the Prime Minister for about three days. And uh, all of that's been going on, which is uh, huge. And, and in America, they had the they had the midterms and the primaries and everyone was distracted. And I think there's also, you know, there is a thing we often see brown people going bananas in, far away and we're just a little bit disconnected from it. I think that's the, that's the problem. That's why someone like Shappy is important where I'm important in the sense that I'm, we're, we're both bridges towards, you know, we're, we're, we're British born. Well, I'm British born Iranian. And, and I think it's important that we, Finally, they got me on Peston, and I remember one of the MPs, there was an MP, just said, you spoke very well. What actually is going on? Because he didn't really know. And I said, listen, I said, listen, there's a girls' revolution there. And this was, it was two days before Liz Truss left. I said, the UK government has been completely silent. Do you, know what, well, do you know what might save her? Is if she comes out and sends a massive statement in support of the women. He goes, he goes I'm going to text James Cleverly right now. And he was on the phone to James Cleverly. And, and you know, a few days later, we had a statement from the, the UK government denouncing everything. And, but it was, it's just not enough. I think that's the thing. And, and I think you're right. There should be a movement. What we could do is get Liz Truss to be there, the Iranian uh, um, Chancellor of the Exchequer, and she'd bankrupt the fucking government and they'd collapse on their own within a week. <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. We need Liz Truss in Iran. That's fantastic. But I think you, you, it, you're right. There hasn't been that. And I, I've seen, um, I was checking on the, Twitter of accounts of certain people like, you know, Ash Sarkar, who she was saying, oh, the best looking team were the Iranian team. And I saw that she'd retweeted one thing about women, but a lot of that kind of the activists on the left have, have not really been that, you know, it's, it's been disappointing, you know. And yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think it has been, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't know, but do they see the Islamic regime as some kind of, as you say, some kind of here? Because they stand up to America, but you know they are a terrorist regime. That's that's one thing that the whole diaspora outside of Iran say. Look, we've just realised this is what we should call them. They are a like ISIS. They are a terrorist regime, and they used to. They don't so much kill celebrities now, but they did back in the eighties. I remember my parents came back from the Royal Albert Hall, where a big Iranian celebrity called uh, uh, Fazal Farhad, who was um. It was like the Jonathan Ross of Iran. He, he, had, he had, had a TV show. He was very funny. He sang as well. He went up, he went up on, on the stage and was like saying, this is a, this is a government where it's, Ayatollah Khomeini believes that the sweat of a man who's had sexual intercourse with a pig is impure after sunset. So he's, he's banging pigs all, the, all day until six. You know, and I remember my parents saying, oh, that's a bit, oh, that's a bit much. That's going to get him into trouble. And I remember thinking, nah, nah, it won't. And they killed him. He lived in Berlin and they killed him. Oh, and they went in there yeah. and they, they killed our Jonathan Ross, which was the most shocking thing he still remembered today. Uh, they don't a do fucking that. fucking amazing now. joke, though. It's a good joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> Not enough to die for, but it was, uh, no. it, it was shocking. I remember everybody was shocked and think, my God. And that silence, that, it silenced my generation for, for, for sure. We thought oh, there's no who's way. Who's the, the rapper Omid, who's currently? Yeah. Uh, Dude, Saleh, who you should know is someone who is a brilliant rapper, and we all, we always say if he was lived, if he lived in America with those lyrics, he would be um, the most celebrated rapper in America. He's from day one. And by the way, when we talked about Lech Walesa was an electrician, Dude, Saleh is a welder. Okay, he's just a welder. 
and he's just and he's and he's he started rapping, and um, he made videos and he was put in prison and they put him out again, but he carried on. His 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 lyrics are absolutely visceral, and he's in he's in prison now. We understand he's been sentenced, and they think there's some kind of death sentence is being put over him. And he is someone we're trying to get rappers. There's a few rappers like uh, Chucky D and all these people are coming out in, in support of him. So, so he is, if they do kill him and they'll know they can't do that, if they do kill Tumaj Salehi, all hell will break loose in Iran. By the way, they are executing people. There was a big thing um, where I think it was Justin Trudeau said, oh, there are 15,000 prisoners and they're gonna, all going to be executed. And then all the... I, I had a right go at some of these Iranian journalists saying, stop sharing that. That's not true. They, they're not going to kill all of them. 15,000 people right now are in prison awaiting sentence. So I, I had a go at one of them. I said, excuse me, they killed 5,000 in 1988. They killed 1,500 in uh, 2019. You're saying stop sharing it? I said, you're the bloke when the plane's lost its wings and it's, it's hurtling towards the ground. You're the bloke at the back saying, Stop screaming. We haven't hit the ground yet. I said, you idiot. They're going to kill people. And they started killing people now. Would you stop it? So I've, I've had a one man, one man kind of, you know, attack on journalists saying, stop sharing this lie for journalistic integrity. I said, you're the bloke where they said, they're not going to kill all our family. They're just going to kill my mum. You know, so this is a, a narrative that we're trying to stop. Uh, of people saying for journalistic integrity, they're not going to kill all fifteen thousand. They kill one. Well, of they them. want to. They want to kill. They want to kill. Even if they kill one, they, they killed seven. They killed yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is utterly barbaric. I think they will. I think they. I think they want to. I think they won't because for the reasons you've said and the reasons we've been saying, which Too is, much. I think yeah, that they right, yeah. they fear that their regime is on the state of of collapse. So I suppose the very last question. It's been brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. My very last question is. Um, uh, what should we? What should we do? We should organise something. We should. There should be something. It seems to me there should be something organised. Maybe soon after Christmas, where we book a room. We get because there's someone we can get who can who can speak. I'm sure if two or three people who had some sort of connection, you know, close connection, who may particularly if they they've been in Iran over the last couple of months, we get them to speak. I reckon we can. Get a thousand people in a room, and from that we can get we can. What are you talking about? What comics doing this? Comics? No, I don't think just. I think more than comics. I think people want to hear. They want to hear people saying the sort of things you've been saying. They want to hear from obviously women who have been leading the leading this uprising. Is there a couple of people we can get, and we can we can fill a room with people who want to hear this and want to do something and want to send uh, support to the? Because if you send support, it does it does make a difference, doesn't it? You know, they people see that. You're absolutely right. It's it's all a drip, 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 and and the more things happen, the in this country, the, the, the crowds are getting bigger. I mean, when we say what can we do, there's things happening anyway. Every Saturday, they're outside the embassy and they walk down to Trafalgar Square and there are kind of rallies and they talk. And I, you know, I went along to one. It was it's very powerful. I put a mask on so people didn't recognize me. But you get it's very emotional. People doing the chants and they're and they're speaking and they're. And it's all led by, you know, young people. I'm very proud of these young people. They're all aged between, seriously, 20 and 30. And they are young, dynamic, coherent people who are organizing. And they, and they say, well, there's no opposition in Iran. And they say, well, of course there isn't, because they'll just put them on a house arrest and kill them. So there are leaders in Iran who are working from the back. 
and they're you know they're they're leading all the operations. But I think in Britain, I think if British people, some British people are going along to these rallies, and I think if more people can support them, which is what happened in Berlin, a hundred thousand people, half of them I understand, well not half of them were, they weren't all German Iranians, but there were a lot of Germans there, and there's a football team. There's some football team that's come out who wants to play for the women of Iran. It's on, on the internet now. And these just German guys, we want to play for you. And I think they've changed their name. So those acts of support are huge for the people of Iran. And I think my, my message would be support the protests. Uh, keep tweeting. Keep, re, keep retweeting me. It's not like I'm getting more followers. I got a retweet from J.K. Rowling. I lost, I lost six. <laughs> So I'm not doing it to gain followers. So I think if you just keep follow me on Twitter, follow Shappy on Twitter and, and just get, get informed. I think once when people get informed of what's actually going on, they will be utterly outraged that we see what's going on our planet. And I think the big problem we have here, Mark, and this is, this is what all socialists and left people and, and even myself, all of us, we, we understand that the one thing in the world that, that everyone is trying to divide us on is our fundamental oneness. And I think as humanity, that's the problem. We don't understand the oneness of mankind. If people get that, then people do get angry in Britain. Because I make, I make a point in my show that people finally, after the Ukraine and a pandemic, we finally see humanity as one body. You know, like when you, we know when you stub your toe, it really hurts, but the toe is furthest away from your brain sensorially, but it still hurts. So so we're now finally seeing the globe. So what's happening in Iran hurts us. The patriarchy hurts men, which is why men are standing with women to bring down this, this terrorist regime. So this is what we're asking for, for people to change their thinking, to see more the oneness of mankind, get angry and speak out and bring this regime down. That's, it's a very simple thing to do. That's magnificent. I mean, thank you so Incidentally, that about the stubbing of the toe, <laughs> I quite often find myself hearing this sort of thing. <laughs> we have a saying. <laughs> oh, God, this is a bit dangerous to me saying this. No, I quite, no, I quite often sort of find myself, find myself sort of uh, being, um, with various uh, Iranian expressions being ex explained. No. Oh, what we have an expression that, uh, you know, the almond that is at the bottom of the bin is furthest from the orange peel, but smells still of the, and the essence goes out and the butterfly that lands on the melon is the, uh, what? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> but you're, you're not supposed to put your back to someone. Oh, sorry, my back is too. He goes, no, a flower has no back or front. You know, there's lots of beautiful oh, right, things. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's brilliant. Anyway, I shall, uh, I, well, maybe I'll learn Farsi one day. I've got it. No, you don't need um, to learn, Farsi. You don't need no, no, to I've got it on my to-do list. <laughs> and do you know what, Mark? I'll finish with this. And this is really interesting. And I think because you're a comic and I'm a comic, I think you should know this because we all think that comedy is not that powerful. And I've, I, as I got in my 50s, I realise making people laugh is not the end. It used to be the end. It used to be like, you know, I always tell the, uh, the audience, Please keep the laughter coming. It, it, it really heals my, my childhood wounds. I need the laughter of strangers to validate me. And, and laugh, people laughing at me was the end. Now it's not. The, the laughter is, a, the jokes are like with you. You've inspired me for years. You use humor to make your points. So I can tell you now, I can reveal to you now, and I'm, I'm not bigging myself up. 
But during the pandemic, what I did was I got my Farsi up to scratch. I started speaking Persian. I got asked on a, um, a even Shappy did. There's a guy called Sina Valiullah who does a, a talk show out of London on a Dubai channel. It's called Chan Shamibar Sina. And uh, he said, you've got to come on my side. My Farsi is not good enough. Even me and Shappy were thinking, we're, we're raised off Persian's not good enough. They said, just come on, we'll edit it. And I went on and it went viral. And then, and then he said to me, do you want to host a show? I'll be the guest. So I, ho I did my first monologue in the Persian language and it went really, really well. And then BBC Persian gave me my own show. BBC Persian is a massive platform, 100 million people. So I did this show. It's a little half hour. It's called Tonight with Omid. And it's, it's a kind of hybrid between a, a studio talk show and, and comedians in cars getting coffee. So my first, my first um, guest was a guy called Tehran, who's half black, half Iranian. And then we did that on BBC Persian, and it went viral. And we got 120,000 comments on the Instagram page. With, wow, with, brilliant. With amazing comments. And, like, and I said, is there any bad comment? He goes, no, it's all good comments. I said, oh, well, you go, yeah, there's one bad comment. I said, what? They go, someone said, Ahmed Jalili's Persian is shit. It's a bit like it can only be, it can only be compared to the English Spoken by Osvaldo Ardiles when he moved to Tottenham. <laughs> he for Tottenham. He goes, what a, what a wanker. So that's the worst comment they had. So, but, 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 but Mark, this is the interesting thing. It went out on uh, BBC Persian is a channel that is, is broadcast inside Iran. Okay. Now, I asked them how many people watched it. They said it's a minimum 12 million people. We can't even tell, but it's a minimum 12, pe 12 million people watched your show. Now, here's the thing. I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Baha'i. The, the Baha'i faith is, um, is a faith that is very much, you know, banned in, in Iran. And, um, and I was the first Baha'i on Iranian television since 1978. And a lot of the comments, people, people are going, oh, hello. How come he's got a show? How's that possible? How did the regime allow this? How could that be allowed to happen? I never mentioned it. I just did a funny show. I did lots of... Did lots of, couldn't do knob gags or anything, but I just did a fun, it was a funny show. I haven't done an English, but I'll show you the English version. Did you, English do the, did you do the pig before sunset joke? I didn't know. I was told specifically <laughs> that I couldn't do that. Because I, I mean, so you can't do that. Um, but it was, um, it was very well received. And people say, hang on, how can this be allowed? So within Iranian society, people say, that's a massive shift. So I'm not saying I'm the one who's caused the revolution, but it is interesting that the powder keg moment was with the hair because people were thinking, wow, it's the first time we've seen comedy. Comedy was not, is not allowed on it. So I think that fact that I went in covertly and did a comedy show in Iran loosened something. Must have done. And when this regime falls, as we hope it does very soon, then uh, the television panel shows that will be like over here it'll be diversity you'll have to have one Baha'i on every <laughs> exactly. on, on eight out of ten eight out of ten pigs there'll be <laughs> brilliant <laughs> I have to say I'm, I'm much more shallow than you uh, Omid I just still want the laughs and that's why to be honest we'll scrap most of this and I'm going to replace it with an interview with Joe Pasquale <laughs> well, listen, mate. Thank, thanks for having me it's, I'm a huge fan of yours this is a, a real pleasure to talk uh, I, about. I mean it's been uh, absolutely brilliant and will you come back when when they've gone yeah when, I'll come back when Khomeini is living in a suburb of Paris yeah yeah <laughs> I'll do a little update update uh, here we go they're all they're all in Paris and we're, we're outside his house trying to get a Wi-Fi hotspot <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much. Oh, Michelini, a pleasure, sir. Thank you. <laughs>